This morning, there's a few instructions. We are going to commune differently today. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples, and he gathered them at a table. And after dinner, he took the bread and the wine, and you know that story. But there were 12 of them seated at the table. Well, I'm not Jesus, but I want 12 of you to gather around the table for communion when we come to that part of the service. And to do that, you will follow the instructions of the usher. He will tell you when to come. And our usher at the earlier service wasn't real good at counting. <laughs> and so I've given Sam the challenge to limit, to limit the group to 12. And if he messes up, well, he is just like Jeff Wageman then. Okay. So, are we ready to begin worship? You ready? We will begin worship then, preparing ourselves. Hey, what are you doing here? What? You're here to be with Grandma. Lauren, Laura. Good to see you. Let's be led in preparing ourselves for worship by listening to the choir.
welcome you to worship. And this morning, I invite you not to shake hands, but rather to bump shoulders or hit them in their ribs or any other place you so desire to bump them, okay? Let's greet one another. God's peace be with you. That's enough, okay. <laughs> I want Jesus to walk with me.
seated. Dear Lord and Father, thank you for the promise that where two or three are gathered, you are there in our midst. Lord, we welcome you amongst us today and celebrate the gift of life that you have lavished upon each of us. We ask that you would open our ears so that we may hear your voice, open our minds so that we may receive your eternal wisdom, open our spirits so that we may know your leading and guidance and open our hearts so that we may receive your wonderful love. We ask all this in the name of our glorious Lord, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Together we confess. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not fully loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not always had in us the mind of Christ. You alone know how often we have grieved you by wasting your gifts, by wandering from your ways. Forgive us, we pray, most merciful Father, and free us from our sin. Renew in us the grace and strength of your Holy Spirit. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection, of his son has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins through the ministry of the church. May God give you pardon and peace and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. During the announcements at the end of service, you'll see big question marks upon the screen, and they're for readers. So you too can do this. From the Old Testament reading, Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but... Of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, 
lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Word of God, word of life. Join me in the prayer of the day. Lord God, our strength, the struggle between good and evil, rages within and around us. And the devil and all the forces that defy you tempt us with empty promises. Keep us steadfast in your word, and we will fall. Raise us again and restore us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The epistle reading today is from Romans 5. Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all men sinned. Sin, indeed, was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment, judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more were those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Then as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one man's act of righteousness leads to the acquittal and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so that by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Word of God, word of life.
Wonderful. Thank you, Matt. And again, Adeline, what is that called? A cross. A cross. And that, who died on that cross? You know? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. Say that again. Jesus. Jesus. And this is a Jesus who died because he loves you, right? Yes. Loved you and he loved your mommy and daddy. He loved Paul and he loved me. And he loved Alan. And who? Alan. Adlin? No. Alan. Oh. The baby brother. The baby brother. <laughs> who is not yet here, right? No. But when is he coming? Hmm. Do you know? In one day. In one day. <laughs> Good. That is wonderful. You, you know that last Sunday we had a mommy in church who used to come to our church here, and she was just like your mommy. She had a baby in her tummy. And guess what happened on Monday? She had a baby. And so maybe one day is a good prediction. One day maybe is a good prediction that you will have a baby soon. Hmm? Yes. Yeah. Jesus loves us, this we know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Adeline, you and me. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones do in me. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves us. Right? Jesus loves you so much. I wish you could see her smile.
It is beautiful. You are a beautiful girl, and you are, well, you're not so beautiful, but you're, <laughs> but, but you're pretty good, Paul. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, repeat after me. Repeat after me. Thank you. Thank you. For loving me. Thank you for loving me. Amen. Amen. The Gospel from Matthew. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40. And afterwards he was. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these to become loaves of. But he answered, it is written, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourselves down, for it is written, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, You shall not. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, Then Jesus said to him, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. The Gospel of our Lord.
Come amongst us and dwell, Heavenly Father. And may the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Speak today through me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Picking out lines from the gospel text. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the... By the what? Devil. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple. Again, the took him to a very high mountain. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. Then the devil left him. These are thy holy words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in thy truth, for thy word is eternal truth. Amen. Yesterday... I had a little conversation with Corinne, and she said church should be fun. Remember? Yeah. Do you agree? Church should be fun? <clears throat> so I'm going to take liberty this morning to, uh, to address the, gospel, the Old Testament text before I start my sermon, going back to what Jim read. And they knew, Adam and Eve knew, that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I have a question. What happened when those aprons got dirty? Yeah, they turned over a new leaf. <laughs> I've preached this text, Temptation of Jesus. A jillion times. And you've heard it preached maybe half a jillion times. So you know what this text is all about. So let's be honest. I don't even remember having preached this text. I don't remember how I preached it. And if I don't remember how I preached it, I'll bet you you probably don't remember much about what you've heard about it either. Why? Because, if we're honest, neither preacher nor hearer remembers much about what is preached. <laughs> you remember songs, but you don't remember sermons quite as easily as you do a good heart moving song. I know for me, I'm speaking, sermons in general aren't high on my list of memorable events. So for me and for you, for both of us, hmm, tomorrow, today is going to be sort of all new. Like I've never preached it before and maybe like you've never heard it before and for me that sounds exciting. <laughs> I get to do something new. So, let's get going. Let's get on with it. First off, 
I was intrigued by how many times the word devil appeared in this text. Short little story. How many times? Five times. Four times the word devil and one time the word Satan. And I got the wondering about the other accounts in the New Testament about the temptation of Jesus. If the devil was mentioned in those accounts also as many times as Matthew mentioned it. So I first looked in the Gospel of Mark. Mark includes this story in the first chapter of his gospel. I'm going to read to you the full account of Mark's rendition of the temptation of Jesus. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. That's it. Short. Brief, concise, to the point. Conclusion. This episode of Jesus' temptation was not very, wasn't something that Mark obviously was very impressed with, even though he has something in his rendition a little different than the other two. He talks about the wild animals. And maybe that was reference to the Snake, perhaps. Well, then, how did Luke deal with this story? His version is almost identical to Matthew's. He uses the word devil or Satan four times. And if you read the Luke account of it, you'll see that it's almost identical to Matthew's version. Like almost one copied the other. What about the Gospel of John? Somebody at the early service said, spoke, when I asked that question, somebody sitting where you were sitting, Nancy, said, it's not even in the Gospel of John. And somebody over here said, man, you know the Bible, don't you? <laughs> no, it's not even in the Gospel of John. The devil. You've probably heard it said, or said it, the devil made me do it. Huh? In the creation story recorded in Genesis, remembering that this is not a scientific account of the creation, okay? It's a story about the creation, not how, but why God created. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. After which she gave the apple to Eve, to Adam and told him that it was okay, I ate it and you can eat it too. Giving Adam a feeble excuse to say, unlike Eve's excuse that the devil made him do it, made her do it, Adam said, what? Eve. <laughs> what are you laughing about, Lisa? Eve made me do it. You know, women always get us men in trouble. That's right. Always. always get us in trouble. 
interesting interplay between the two principles in the garden. One said, the serpent made me do it. The other said, what Eve made me do it. Neither of the words devil or Satan occur in this story. Where were they? Where were they? Were they there? Were they there? Or not there? Let's go to another story. The well-known Old Testament story of David and... Everybody said Goliath, but no, that's the wrong answer. David and... Bathsheba. <laughs> yeah. Recalling how David was overcome with temptation. Huh? When he saw the beautiful Bathsheba doing what? Bathing, presumably naked, bathing on the rooftop of a neighboring building. Doesn't tell us immediately what happened thereafter, but we are soon to learn. In order that David might have Bathsheba for himself, now that she was what? With child, David did what? He sent her husband Uriah into battle into the front lines of a fierce battle so that he could be killed. So that he could then take Bathsheba for his wife, who was soon to give birth to his child. In this story, does the devil appear? Is the devil mentioned in this story? No. There's no devil in this story, any place. Nothing is said about a devil or Satan. So what was going on? What caused David to do what he did? Did the mysterious, non-present devil make him do it? No. Not present, no. There's no mystery here. Our experience in life has solved the mystery. We're just like Adam and Eve. We're just like David. It's the way we are built. It's our DNA. It's who and what we are. It's called human nature. Yeah. It's called human nature. It's, it's the way we're made. When Adam blamed Eve for making him do it, was it really Eve who made him do it? No. No. Of course not. It was his, come on, human nature that made him do what he did. What? Huh. 
And what about poor Eve? She blamed a serpent for her wrongdoing. And if we understand the story of creation for what it is and not a science book, then the serpent to which she refers really is her inborn human nature. Was what caused Adam to disobey the same influence that caused Eve to disobey? Of course it was. Of course it was. There was no devil around. It was their human nature that caused them to do what they did. We're slowly now warming up to the Jesus story, the text for this morning. And the repeated use of the words, devil and Satan. In light of the examples I've, I've cited, Adam, Eve, and David, I'm raising the question, what makes us do what we do? Is there really a devil? Is there really a personified devil? A personified Satan dressed in red underwear holding a pitchfork, the picture of which we've seen a thousand times? Aiming at my weak spots, trying to get me in trouble with my neighbor, trying to alienate me from the God who created me. If there is, if there is, then where is he? I can unequivocally say that I have yet to encounter such. And boy, I've sure gone wrong over and over and over many times, missing the mark, sinning. But I've never had the devil telling me, now Al, you do this. A devil consisting of flesh and blood, the devil of whom I've seen umpteen pictures of, I have never encountered. If he, she, it exists. He must be too busy to deal with me. If there is or if there isn't a personified devil for me is not the question. It's not the question. The question is, who pulls the trigger? What pulls the trigger that urges me in my paraphrased words of the Apostle Paul from the book of Romans, what is it that causes me to do what I know is wrong and not to do what I know is right? Or if you want to hear Paul's exact words, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Romans 7, 16, look it up. Which three verses later, Paul says the same thing again, only adds a little something to it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Paul then concludes... Now, if I do what I do not want, 
It is no longer I that do it. But, and here it is, folks, but sin which dwells within me is what makes me do what I do when I do wrong. Aha. Aha. It is a sin that dwells within me, my human nature, that makes me do what I know I shouldn't do and sometimes makes me not do what I know I should do. It's my sinful nature, Paul says. He's got it. I've got it. It's the way I'm built. It's the way I'm made. It's who I am. Boy, Paul really struggles with this. With the sin that dwells within him, saying of himself, and I don't like to hear Paul saying this of himself, Marianne and I traveled through all of Europe, through all of Turkey, following the trail that Paul made as he went as a missionary to all these places, a wonderful missionary and committed Christian. I don't like it when Paul says, right there in that same chapter of Romans, wretched man that I am. Or I don't like singing Amazing Grace at that one line. How does it go? That saved a wretch like me. But it's the truth. It's the truth. There's a wretched part of me. Paul's words, it's the sin that dwells within me. It's the way I'm made. I can't get away with it. But that's only part, that's only part of who I am. It's not all of me, I'm not all wretched. There's a part of me that is not so good, but there is also a part of me that is very good. And the two wrestle with each other when I am faced with temptation. Adam said, Eve made me do it. I sometimes say, Mary Ann made me do it. <laughs> Eve said, the serpent made me do it. David's case, Bathsheba's nakedness made me do it. Huh? Mm -mm. All wrong. All wrong. What makes me do what I do is the sin which dwells within me, my human nature, the way I'm made, the way I'm built. Why do I do what I do? Why do I stumble and fall? Paul says, it's the sin within me that makes that happen. If this is my argument, then what about Jesus when he's faced with temptation? 
This is where it gets a little tricky, theologically. We believe Jesus is truly human, right? Right? We also believe that Jesus is truly divine, right? At this point, we have to deal with that church word again. What word? If Jesus is truly human and truly divine, one word defines it. It's the word, church word. What? Help me. Incarnation. Truly human. Truly divine. That's our confessed belief. That Jesus is truly God and that Jesus is truly man. At the same time, all three gospel writers record this event the temptation of Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. What I understand to be happening in his story is Jesus' struggle between his humanness and his divinity. He has come to understand that he is different. He's different than his mother Mary. And he's different than his father Joseph. He's learned that about himself. When did he first, when is it first exposed in the Bible that he's learning this about himself? When he's 12 years old. And where is he? In the temple. And what's he doing? He's listening to the scribes and the Pharisees, but he's not only listening, he's also teaching. Revealing his knowledge of the Old Testament at the age of 12. And all the scripture says we're amazed. The scribes, the high priests, they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. That's what the Bible says when he was 12 years old. He was learning who he was. He was learning who he is. Thus wrestling with who he is, that he is truly the son of God, but that he, that he is also truly the son of Joseph and Mary, incarnate, both human and divine. Thus wrestling with who he is, what does he do? He draws himself apart where he can go someplace and think about what he knows about himself, that he's not just like everybody else. And that he's got to be careful about how he uses his divine nature so as not to abuse it and to take advantage of it when his human nature attacks him and says, do what you're not supposed to do. He can't flip the switch and all of a sudden become divine. As a true man, he has to deal with the reality, the same reality that you and I face when we are tempted. Being truly human, being like his mother, being like his dad, he knows there will be times when his humanity will be threatened and tempted but that he must stand firm in the face of his 
what human nature that gnaws at him and wants him to do what he knows he should not do. And so the Satan and the devil that confronted Jesus in the wilderness is who? Is the same Satan and devil that confronts you and me, but not personified, built in human nature, who we are, how we're built, how we're made. The not-so-good part of us wrestling with the good part of us and forcing us to make a decision. Should the good part win in the face of this temptation? Or should I succumb to the not-so-good part and do what I know I ought not do? We're not all wretched. Thank God. Thank God. That's just a piece of us, part of us. We can't get rid of it. We ask, what do we do confession for at the beginning of service? We ask God to forgive us when our wretchedness pops up and causes us to do what we know we ought not do. Hounding us, nagging us, following us wherever we go, trying to get us, human nature, trying to get us to do the opposite of what the good part of us knows we ought to do. And so I come to the end of this sermon soon, concluding that this wonderful story of Jesus in the wilderness, of Jesus' temptation, is laid out for us for one reason, as an example and expectation of us. So that when the sin within us tempts us to do wrong, that we should turn to Jesus' example and expectation of us and say, as Jesus said to his human nature, get out of my way. Get out of my way. Be gone, Satan. I'll have nothing to do with you. I know what is right. And I will not succumb to your wanting me to do wrong. I will honor and worship only my Father in heaven, Jesus says, and him only shall I serve. In conclusion, I'm repeating myself. Jesus was truly human, and Jesus was truly divine. The bottom line of this story, as I see it, as I understand it, Jesus didn't allow his divine nature to take over when he was tempted. He didn't flip the switch, but he acted as a truly human in resisting firmly the temptation to do wrong. The bottom line of this story, as I see it, as I understand it, 
is that Jesus' human nature was severely tested and that Jesus did not let the sinful nature within him that is also in you and me control what he did. Did not let his sinful nature take over. Just like we, in fact. Just like we, sometimes, sometimes, but not always, but sometimes, find the will and the strength to let the good part of us control in the face of temptation the not so good part of us. And in those moments, and in those moments, when we defeat the evil, sinful nature within us, we can say, just like Jesus said, you alone, Almighty God, you alone, Heavenly Father, you alone, Father in heaven, who sent your beloved Son to die on the cross, that we might be saved. Come hell or high water, Heavenly Father, you alone, you alone, will we worship, will we serve. When faced with temptation, we will say, Satan, get out of my way. I'll have nothing to do with you. Because I will serve only my Lord and my God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the witness of Jesus in this story, of his example and of his expectation of us, that when the not so good part of us wants to control our actions, that you oftentimes give us the strength and the will, just like Jesus, to say, get out of my way. Get out of my way. I will serve only my Lord and my God. In whose name I pray. Amen. I chose the following hymn, O Jesus, I have promised, because it is a fitting conclusion to my sermon. Let's stand.
together we confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a topsy-turvy world, confronted daily with new problems and new temptations. We ask for your divine presence in our lives to guide us and to protect us. Lord, in your mercy, we remember in prayer the thousands of people affected with this virus that is sweeping throughout the world. We pray for the care and healing of those afflicted, for those who have lost loved ones because of this rampant virus. We pray that they be surrounded with love by their families and by their friends. Lord, in your mercy, for the calming of the present day political climate in our country, we pray. We remember in prayer our elected leaders and for those striving to become leaders, guide all in holding to the rule of law that our democracy not be lost at the expense of human gain. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we begin this season of Lent at the foot of the cross upon which your Son, Jesus our Lord, suffered and died. We gather as your children around this communion table this morning, remembering that night before his crucifixion when Jesus gathered there at table with his disciples. Make this season of Lent special in our lives as we prepare ourselves and our SOV family for the coming of Easter. Lord, in your mercy. These prayers we pray in Jesus' name as we continue to share our prayers aloud and our prayer concerns.
a prayer of thanksgiving for Nia and her husband at the birth of a healthy baby girl. All these prayers we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Let us continue our worship by receiving our morning offering.
Merciful God, we offer with joy and thanksgiving what you have first given us, ourselves, our time, and our possessions, signs of your gracious love. Receive them for the sake of him who offered himself for us, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Our Lord, on the night in which he was betrayed, gathered around the table his 12 close friends. And having eaten, he took a loaf of bread that was left over, I suppose, from the dinner. And he took that loaf and he held it up. And he blessed it. And he broke it. And he said to his disciples, I'm not sure they understood maybe what he was saying, but he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Even as it's sometimes hard for us to understand how common bread could be his body. But he said it is, even as he also took the cup and blessed it and said to his disciples, take and eat or take and drink, because this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. And then he said, after I'm gone, and they probably didn't understand it either, I want you to keep doing this. And he said, so keep doing it, and when you do it, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. And so because those disciples did what Jesus had commanded them to do, you and I today can gather around this table and truly receive his presence, as he has said. This is my body. This is my blood. So come. As God's children, as God's family, as SOFI family, come to receive his presence.
body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins, strengthen you and preserve you unto everlasting life. Peace be with you.
where you are seated. Bump the person next to you if you are close enough to do so. And together we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Announcements. Maybe not. Something a little more dignified. Can you g turn that off? <laughs> can, can you guess what we're preparing for? Oh, let's see. Oh, let's see what we got here. Oh, look. Look at this. See, here we go. So, uh, as you may know, each year, for the last few years, we have been preparing Easter egg, uh, not Easter egg, but rather Easter baskets, once again for uh, uh, a community of, of folks in need. Who's the organization this year we're working with? Union Gospel. Union Gospel. And we're going to put together Easter baskets for the young people that in, in the families that they're serving. Um, and, and we don't really give them Easter eggs or candy. We try to give them things that are helpful and useful along with a treat or two. So, so uh, we're going to put together uh, Easter baskets this year. I think our goal is to try to raise $500, to, uh, and that will let us put together how many baskets? Um, that will let us put together 15 baskets. And so we'll, we'll, uh, uh, if, if you want to contribute to this, uh, uh, please uh, provide a, a check and indicate Easter uh, um, social concerns Easter egg basket or Easter basket, and uh, and then uh, over the next week or two we'll see what we can collect for that, and then we'll understand how how big of a community we can serve there, in terms of putting those baskets together. Were there any other points you wanted me to touch on? Oh yes, there's. Yeah, there's, there's flyers in the back that will tell you, uh, describe all of the details that I have forgotten. And, uh, and, and, and oh, yes, there's Thriven matching funds. So with, for the money that we raise, we also then get money from Thriven that helps stretch those dollars further. So, uh, so it's a pretty cool setup. So look for a flyer. And uh, if you have any questions, you can ask me or uh, any of the social concerns uh, team members. Uh, we'll be able to help you out. I think we should mail a picture of you. No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Don't be tempted to do that. Do not, do not be tempted to share that video. It's human nature. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
right, so we have a couple things going on. As you know, we're getting ready for Easter. So we are accepting donations towards the Easter flowers. And there's a notice in the back about that. And um, the other thing is, is that uh, we need a volunteer coordinator. Um, Rachel is no longer uh, doing that role. So um, if anybody that's interested, please let me or Jacob or somebody know. And uh, in the meantime, I'll try and throw something together for the next couple of months to, to get us through. Um, if you're willing to be an usher or a reader, um, please let me know. Thank you. Thank you. I've been asked to announce that the uh, uh, lunch, all church lunch, this month is going to be held at Corinne's residence at Springs at Tannisborn. It's Thursday, 12 noon. It's a wonderful atmosphere and a wonderful place to have a, a good hamburger and lots of other stuff. Uh, I remind you that um, we need to share treats uh, and clean up responsibilities for our fellowship time. There's a sign up board back where Jim Tabor is standing, if you would be willing to help with that. This is also birthday time. Uh, I think we only have a couple of people on my list. Uh, Kinsley and Mark and Deidre Anderson, Edith Gross, Kari, Darren, and then we come to Manoush. Ah, come on up, Manoush, yay! And Michael Johnson with the earlier service. Zafi and Chelsea. Christy, where are you? Is she hiding? Yes, that's how it is. And you won't get her. And Manoj, how old are you? How old are you? 50. 50. Oh, wow. Well, if, if uh, Christy has gone to the bathroom, let's all go to the bathroom. <laughs> let's go singing. Hey, is she not going to appear? No, she won't. Oh, and then Hope is down in Mexico, and Matthew. That's it, I guess. So, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Further announcements, let's sing our closing hymn. I'd uh, like to encourage you to stand for our last song. And just, uh, I think this uh, Lord, I need you is just about the most honest prayer that a Christian can pray. It's not like I have all my stuff together. It's like, God, I need you, help. And um, I think just returning to that, the simplicity of that prayer is a really uh, cool thing. <coughs> Thou 
Peace and do what? Thanks be to God.